Humans are adorable. We do this really cute, funny thing. We pretend we have power over stuff. When things are going our way, especially, we think we can actually control our lives. It would be adorable if it weren't actually kind of sad. Because we think by planning and worrying, we can control outcomes. Some things work. Sometimes meal planning comes together on an odd week. As does training for things, sometimes. For the most part, keeping the oil in your car changed and wearing sunscreen, that's a good idea. But worrying and planning is often like whistling in the dark. I wonder, for example, what A.J. Hernandez's father would say to the notion of planning and controlling life. Because last week, while we were worshiping here and enjoying Lisa's amazing lemon loaf in the fellowship hall after church for coffee hour, he was hearing the tornado sirens from his home in Beauregard, Alabama. He did what he, did, he, he knew to do uh, to keep his two boys, AJ, who's six, and Jordan, 10, safe. He brought them into a closet in the interior of the home and held on to them, protecting them with his body, waiting for the storm to pass. He did everything right. But that tornado ripped his sons from his hands. AJ, just six years old, the same age as my youngest Mimi, was killed. Jordan and his father are still hospitalized. Many of you already know this terrible truth about planning and worrying being fruitless. You've lived it firsthand, some of you more than once. You woke up one morning thinking everything would be fine and went to bed that night with your heart shattered. Things can change in an instant and no amount of worrying and planning could change it. I wish it could. I would have changed a lot of outcomes because I worry a lot. We cannot control our lives, not when it starts, not when it ends. We cannot keep what is most precious to us from being ripped from our grasp. We cannot control when we'll be blessed and how much and when joy will burst our, our chests open. We can't control it. The ancient Israelites knew this very well. They had been enslaved and controlled for generations. And when they were finally released from captivity, they thought it would just be a fun hop, skip, and jump to their new and improved destiny, right? They're like, let's do this. We're going to the promised land. Instead, a generation of them for 40 years wandered in the desert. They went from enslavement to homelessness. By the time they finally landed and put down roots, they were actually aware of this truth about worrying and controlling. That no amount of it, no amount of walking, planning, complaining, or rebelling would bring about what they hoped for sooner. They knew that when they began to see fruits of their labor, 
because God allowed them for the first time in generations to stay in one place and grow things for themselves and not for others as slaves, that they needed to be generous with it and take care of others because it was pure gift. They knew very well what it felt like to be strangers and aliens. They knew what it felt like to not have a home of one's own. They knew what it felt like to to not have a physical location to worship and be formed in the faith. So they took the very first of what they had after generations that was just theirs. And they gave it to God. Served those who were strangers and aliens in their land, people that were different from them. Invested it in their faith community. Paul, in our epistle, speaks to a people who kept trying to assert who was in and who was out. That is a cute little thing that humans do as well. They like to do it almost as much as we like to worry and control, like to draw lines where God never put them. And the Christians in Rome were certain that it took a certain pedigree to belong to God, but Paul said, no way. It is only through Jesus. As Lutherans, we know this. We believe that faith is a gift and there is nothing that we can do to earn or control it that is only lavish grace that is, as Paul so beautifully writes, the word that is near to us on our lips and in our hearts. There is no formula for getting in God's good graces. It is not our job to get there. It's God's job. And God in Jesus Christ has done an amazing job of it. And it's totally thorough. And there is no way we can improve on the path to salvation in Jesus Christ. It is done. And salvation is not avoiding something, evading punishment. But it's being made, heal- it's being made new and healed in God's grace. It means being stitched back into the tapestry of God's story. How we respond to that with our lives, our faith, our joy, and our service to God's gift is how we get to be a part of that tapestry of faith. It's God's work. It is not ours. But we get to joyfully be a part of it. We can float around and try to worry and plan and control and avoid all we want, But there is still space for us to rest in God's grace. This time of Lent is a mirroring of the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting and praying in preparation for his earthly ministry. And it reminds us, if some of us don't need this reminder, but it reminds us that none of us are exempt from suffering, sadness, and mortality just as none of us are exempt from God's redeeming grace and love. Two truths embedded in our hearts, giving us freedom to walk in the grace that God gives. And as Jesus did with his entire life, he demonstrated during this time in the wilderness beautifully what it looks like to walk in uncertainty, pain, and need. As he was tempted, he resisted the temptations to serve his own needs first. 
He resisted the human desire for power and prestige and the opportunity to prove his pedigree as a son of God. What mattered to Jesus was none of those things, but it was only and ever connection to God and others. Lent reminds us that what we need is only and ever in the grace of God. Whether our lives are going beautifully and we feel like we're controlling them great, or whether our lives are completely off the rails, totally out of control and terrifying. When our soul, hope, is living in that grace and being stitched into it in such a way that we can rest in it, regardless of our circumstances, we are stitched into the story of God. And that is a story of hope for all. Love, resurrection, healing, wholeness. There is an injustice in this world. There's a deep, deep pain. When I read about that man whose sons were ripped out of his arms, my heart just ached for him. I can't even imagine. There are wars raging right now. Refugees seeking a safe place for their families right now. There are people dying of starvation right this very moment. People killing themselves as an escape from PTSD right now. People lost in addiction right now. People who woke up this morning an hour earlier thinking everything was going to be fine. Who will go to bed tonight with shattered hearts. We live between the already and the not yet. In between Jesus coming to show us how to live and conquering death, and when the kingdom fully comes at the eschaton, when every tear will be wiped away, when there will be no more death, in this space of unpredictability and mortality and general mayhem, we live in God's grace alone. And I would suggest That like the ancient Israelites and those inspired by Paul's words and Jesus, that we would learn that worry and, and, and stress and planning will not change outcomes. And instead, embrace the flow of God's spirit and love. I would suggest that we show up with shattered hearts some days and inspired hearts others and that we show up no matter what because we know that we are part of this tapestry of faith in our strength and in our brokenness. Jan Richardson, one of my favorite poets, writes of the blessing of embracing the peace and promise of God as we navigate the already and the not yet. She writes, Blessing in a time of violence which is to say the blessing is always, which is to say there's no place this blessing does not long to cry out and lament, to weep its words in sorrow, to scream its lines in sacred rage, which is to say there is no day this blessing ceases to whisper into the ear of the dying, the despairing, the terrified, which is to say there is no moment this blessing refuses to sing itself into the heart of the hated and the hateful, 
the victim and the victimizer, with every last ounce of hope it has. Which is to say that there is none that can stop it, none that can halt its course, none that will change its cadence, none that will delay its rising, none that can keep it from springing forth from the mouths of us who hope, from the hands of us who act, from the hearts of us who love, from the feet of us who will not cease our stubborn, aching marching, marching until this blessing has spoken its final word, until this blessing has breathed its benediction in every place, in every tongue. Peace, peace, peace. My siblings in Christ, I speak that to your hearts this Lent. Peace. Let go. You're not in control of your joy or your pain. And in this Lenten time of repentance and fasting and remembering and paying attention, I pray that you'll have the strength and the eyes to see that you can trust God. I pray that you'll see the futility of trying to hide until you're put back together. You're beautiful in your brokenness because God's light shines through you. I pray that you see the audacity of trying to fix what only God can heal. It's not your job. I pray that you are inspired to be fully stitched into the tapestry of the faith that proclaims of all that it is the good news to our hearts and to the world. Amen. Let's stand and sing together on eagle's wings. It's hymn number 787.